0: Everybody. Welcome back to The Big Show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, episode, what episode is this? I think we're going to call it 66. I like that, 66A. Episode 66, all right. There was a
1: 66 and a 67, um, which are, what, in the vaults. In the vaults.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They were not up to our standard, let's right put it that way. Yep, yep. So we be- we walked it back and said, you know what, we're going to do this better. And we're going to do this with a text that I think we can all, you can all, especially benefit from if Mm -hmm. you haven't read it already. So this is episode 66, and we are your pastors, Christopher Gillespie. I'm here. Yeah. And I am Donovan Riley. Fairly obviously, I think. Yeah. (laughs) If you've listened this far and still don't know who we are, God bless you. But we're actually going to dive in today to Philip Melanchthon's Loci Comunes, 1521. Loci? Which, to sum up Luther's thoughts on it, he said this is the best systematic theology basically ever written, right? Mm, yeah. And they're really, what else did they have
1: before this? Well, there's that going for it. <laughs> That's right. I mean, before this, mm-hmm. uh, the closest that you'd have would be, uh, we were talking before the show, uh, like Thomas's um, Summa. Summa, right? yeah. And then, but right. what was the chief text for, for Luther and for Melanchthon would have been... Um, The sentences, right? The sentences by the Lombard, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which were as close as you could get as kind of what we would today call a systematic theology where a comprehensive confession of
0: faith. Right. Which, and to draw a kind of line then, you you have the loci, which is essentially the first systematic document of the Reformation, because like I said, this is 1521. But then notice as you go through the next decade up through Augsburg, how he takes what he puts out here in the loci... And is constantly grinding it down, grinding it down, grinding it down mm-hmm. through his teaching, through experience, so that when he arrives in Augsburg, the confession he makes, there's a direct lineage from this to that confession mm-hmm. on the other side. Because the other side to this too is he never stops editing this loci during his life. Right. And I, in our
1: now vaulted episode, I mean, we did kind of consider that, I, th- I we see it as a negative, that, that you would not let your confession stand, but always you know, want to go back and kind of tweak it out.
0: Well, like we talked about, it's it's George Lucas syndrome. You can't stop <laughs> editing your work. To the point where, yeah, now the CGI is distracting. Right, <laughs> right. But that is the work. Uh, Calvin does this with his institutes. Mm-hmm. It's the work of the systematician to constantly go back. And Pieper does this too. There's the famous apocryphal story that Pieper was editing the manuscripts as he was walking them to the printer. Oh, wow. You just can't, st- and I appreciate that, you and I as pastors, whenever we get a sermon prepped. Mm. If, if I do sermon prep early in the week, if I don't push that aside, I'm tinkering with that sermon all the way through the week because things come up and and you say to yourself, oh, you know what, I need to change this or this really should go here, I should move this over there or yeah. this happened, now I want to include this in the sermon. Right, and then it gets too long and also you
1: um, get distracted from whatever the point was <laughs> right? because you keep adding right. these tangential um, things that are interesting right. and you, you want to include but um, you lose the precision then maybe or at least right. or at least the simplicity so the,
0: that's really then the beauty of the loci here is one philip's actually quite young when he wrote, writes this yeah and therefore this just goes to his intellectual power and his intellectual gifts that he's able he's to write like, this. He's only like 22 himself, right, at this yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So there's that, and to be able to write a systematic theology in essentially, we would say brief, this is a brief form mm-hmm. uh, compared to other systematic theologies throughout the years. And so there is that too in the sense that of, of systematic theologies or loci, this one, in my opinion, is the, it's it's very easy to pick up and read.
1: Yeah, and it, the the lineage of the actual edition that we've got here, fifteen twenty one, is interesting, and in that uh, <laughs> we've talked about with Luther and the printing press, and how things just get right. published, and they don't all always have like Luther's stamp of approval on them. Same mm-hmm. thing happened with this. Uh, students had written notes, combined them, published them, got them published. He finds right. out about it. He goes and buys a copy. <laughs> it starts looking at us like oh no this is not good and right. so then does a does a quick kind of um rewrite uh which gets limited publication and then this 1521 you know he puts mm-hmm. a stamp of proof on okay if i have to have something published here it is um, right this is his, you know this is what he's actually been teaching in the lecture mm-hmm. hall is yeah. going through uh, when we say low side what is he doing he's topical Mm-hmm. So yeah right theological yep. topical right so you're saying yes you know uh, whatever it is on the doctrine of, i don't know atonement or salvation mm-hmm. of god or something mm-hmm.
0: like that so in this edition this is the Ichthus edition edited by wilhelm pauch and translated by lowell sart satra Sater satyr depending on yeah. which side of the ocean you live on Sater
1: <laughs> nice french name um,
0: We're going to dive into the power of the law and the power of the gospel. This might turn into two or three episodes just so we can give this room to breathe. Mm -hmm. But we will be starting on page 77 of the Ichthus edition. And this then is the power of the law. Philip writes, we have said that the gospel is not the law, but the promise of grace. Now it is our task to teach what the power of the law is, as well as that of the gospel. For from this consideration, we shall be able to recognize, to some extent, the difference between law and gospel. In the first place, Scripture differs from human reason in its view of the power of the law. Scripture calls law, quote, the power of anger, unquote. The power of sin, the scepter of the avenger, Mm. lightning, and thunder. Human reason, calls it a corrector of crimes and an instructor in living. For Cicero employs such language when he speaks of laws, and nothing is more commonly celebrated than the praise of laws, so that Paul could seem to the flesh even to be mad when he calls law the power of sin. Accordingly, the Jews, when they profess themselves disciples of Moses, are unwilling to acknowledge Christ, as in John 9, Mm -hmm. verse 28. Therefore, in order to discuss the power of the law in precise fashion, let us compare two classes of men. And that then is the introductory paragraph for Philip Melanchthon uh, in his Loci on the Power of
1: the Law. He is reflecting on his uh, deep exploration of Paul's letter to the Romans.
0: Right, and that's a good point too of in 1541 he publishes his Romans commentary finally which <laughs> finally exactly it's it's quite thick it's a wonderful wonderful commentary actually probably one of the best ever way in my opinion superior to Luther's commentary on Romans I think Luther acknowledged that too didn't he Yeah well you have 1517 Romans commentary by Luther which he's still working out justification mm-hmm. and then you have 1541 a very mature Philip yeah. who is a master of exegesis and commentary and so yeah in in no way shape or form can they really be compared to each other and so you have this and then that which are both to your point commentaries on romans the romans commentary is essentially a loci Mm -hmm. within the context of exegeting romans this is a commentary on romans within the context of a loci right yeah and so what what ends up happening when you do that is
1: he's reading romans over and over and over and over And pulling out or starting, you know, maybe to see big picture, little picture, word use, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's why he can just quote out the law, uh, the scripture calls the law, the power of anger, the power of sin. Well, that's Romans, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? So he's bringing out those citations um, and then he's going to speak, how do you want to say, comprehensively about the topic Sure, by just mining the scriptures for right. for its language, for its way of communicating the topic. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: Which goes again to his training in humanism, ad fontes, back to the source. Yeah. Let the primary texts speak for themselves, hmm. which lines up with sola scriptura.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's
0: so, kind of the point. Let scripture, exegete scripture, let it speak for itself. There are those who would accuse Lutherans of
1: imposing upon the scripture text this paradigm of law and gospel. Sure, right. I, if you do what the Lutherans do, I mean, you read the scriptures and that's what you see. Right. That Paul's vision of the Old Testament text, which he knows quite well, being a Pharisee, right.
0: that's what's there. Right. You have God's word of law where it condemns, it threatens, it punishes, it's lightning, it's thunder, it's the power of sin. Mm-hmm. But then you also have God's promise, mm-hmm. which points us to the Savior.
1: Yeah. So you have, co- or command and promises, is another way it's, it's spoken of, right? Right.
0: Luther in The Bondage of the Will talks about it in the sense of that scripture is thesis and antithesis. Mm. It's this or Mm -hmm. it's that. It's categorical, he says, that God is categorical. It's either a word of law or it's a word of gospel. And in his way of reading the scripture and in Melanchthon's then too, that's what they're coming out with is we've searched the scriptures, we've read the Hebrew and the Greek, we've read the Latin, we've translated it uh, this way, that way, and the other way. We can only really find two words from God and i think that's uh, just a really important note to make and that
1: like for example uh for lutherans we're mm-hmm. taught to read the scriptures according to the small catechism yeah right but the but the lineage or the um i don't know the 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 heritage of the small catechism mm-hmm. is lengthy exposit- you know studying studying of god's word Really right. digging deep. I mean, Luther didn't just arrive at the catechism and said, now let's read the, the whole scripture according to what I yeah, think right. the, the Bible's about. Mm-hmm. No, this is his distillation over time through
0: preaching and teaching of what the scripture teaches. Well, that's the wonderful thing about the Albrecht-Peters commentary because Peter's is essentially laying out in an exhaustive <laughs> series of books. This is everything that went into that little bitty catechism that you call a child's book.
1: yeah. We uh, had how many episodes on this show going through Peter's? Did we do seven, six, eight, 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 ten? Nine, I don't remember. Something like those that. A, a lot. So you can go back and listen to those.
0: And we could have, did, you can dedicate, devote an entire podcast just to those Peter's commentaries.
1: I think so, yeah. There's
0: solid scholarship. There's so much there. Yeah. So what Melanchthon draws out here then is there is the way that scripture differs from the way that we think about the power of the law. And this is an important thing too in the note. The law is a power, it is a force, Mm -hmm. because it's God's word. It's not a thing, it's not an abstraction. It it, it is a word that has actual power. Mm. And thus, scripture calls the law the power of anger, the power of sin, um, the scepter of the avenger. But human, the way that we think of the law, we always think of it as something that corrects us or instructs us in how to live a better life. Mm -hmm. So he draws out this dichotomy at the very beginning, then, that for Cicero, for example, a pagan philosopher, How does he understand the power of the law? It is the thing that corrects crime and instructs us in how to live a good life. Mm -hmm. So thus the Jews also, when they oppose Jesus, as recorded in John chapter 9, the Jews who claim to be disciples of Moses think that the purpose of the law, the power of the law, is to enable them to live a good life and to correct vice, crime, however you want to say it. And I don't think at this point Melanchthon would
1: articulate you know, first, second, third use of law. He's not there yet. No, I mean, he's got he's got first and third there with with corrector of crimes and instructor of living, right? Right, and but he's not made the translation yet. Mm-hmm, he's right. still making the distinction between first use and second use here. Or, or I, I like I like the distinction here of from a, really from above and from below, right? Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, the law yeah. from from God is is described in this way. The law from below, as 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 it relates to one another, you know, right. described this way good Mm -hmm.
0: so then he wants to draw out this analogy these two types of men so he writes in the first class of men are those who understand the law carnally that is in a fleshly earthly way these blind fellows do not realize that the law demands impossible things and they see neither sin law nor righteousness these are the hypocrites and sophists of all ages Paul calls the righteousness of this class, quote, the righteousness by works of law. He means the righteousness of those who, when they hear the law, set out to keep it by their own works. They give over their hands, feet, and head to the law, but their heart they keep back. For actually, they would prefer to be without the law, however holy they appear to be in their own eyes. (laughs) Pleasures, wealth, and honor are still pleasing to them. No one has declared better than the Spirit of God what sort of people they are. In the first place, they lack faith. That is, their heart understands nothing of God. And as Scripture says, they do not seek after God, do not glorify God, but despise Him. Hmm. Therefore, they go astray according to Psalm 14, verse 3. That is to say that since they do not fear God nor trust Him, they veer away toward their own ideas. By, with, by means of which, in their despisal of God, they make a way for themselves either to wealth or positions of dignity. Furthermore, they even try to justify themselves by their own works. And scripture often berates <laughs> such workers of iniquity. Mm-hmm. In Psalm 5, verse 9, David describes the hypocrites in this way. There's no truth in their mouth. Their heart is destruction. Their throat is an open sepulchre. For this type of man, the law furnishes no problem, since they live in a false, carnal interpretation of the law. The law cannot accomplish in them what it ought, but they fashion idols for themselves from the law, images of men, and semblances of the carnal virtues. For they are drawn to simulate good works by some carnal passion, either by fear of punishment or by desire for the convenient since they do not see the sickness of their soul, they are secure in their stupidity. Wow. Pretty clear. right? pretty clear and also pretty
1: intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know, in your experience, my experience, uh, people generally want you to hold other people accountable. Um, right. But they really don't want to be held accountable to themselves. Right. Dis- uh, displacement of responsibility. Yeah, I think we talked about right. that, you know, off air. Right. And, and you, that's what, david's describing as far as a hypocrite mm-hmm. uh, they're they're really seeking um they're not really seeking to keep the law uh, only in a carnal way that would be what through flesh through the virtues of of living we mm-hmm. would say like externally yeah. right right i'm um, not really dealing with the heart and how would this play out like looking good you know keeping keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up appearances yeah yeah. You know? and they really actually then don't keep the command which um is summarized for jesus when he asks um to love the lord your god with all your heart soul strength and mind and your neighbor as yourself right you by not loving your neighbor mm-hmm. you actually have no fear and love or trust for god right
0: for god exactly mm. and that's really a great point here that we've drawn out before which is there's nothing wrong with what he says so long as it's kept in the left-hand kingdom mm-hmm. earthly stuff
1: mm-hmm.
0: be virtuous love justice, go read the Proverbs, go read wisdom sure, literature yeah. in different traditions. Speak, speak with uh, appropriate words. Right. Mm-hmm. That is, there's nothing wrong with integrity, honor, self-control, discipline, respect, these kinds of things. Or even pleasures, wealth, and honor. Right. So long as they're kept within their limitations. They're received as gift. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like Cyrus the Great says is that to live simply and humbly it should be the aim of every leader, but the temptation is for every leader, as you acquire fame, wealth, it's all in money. Mm-hmm. You tend to embrace luxury. You become less disciplined, less humble. You become overconfident and arrogant. You become soft, which for him is of course the worst thing that can happen. Um, and then ultimately you, you are a bad leader because you don't actually care about your people. Mm-hmm. You only care about accruing more wealth, more fame, more power so that you can continue to exaggerate what you've gotten used to yeah even
1: from ancient biblical times even through medieval period you know like a sign of the prosperity of the kingdom is the uh the king's what do you want to say um large corpus
0: (laughs) right right yeah (laughs) yeah who was who's the guy uh, that has egon or jehu or jehu yeah yeah when jehu goes and 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 guts
1: egon yeah (laughs) it's like Really? Your stomach can swallow your sword? That's how big it is?
0: Right. That's right. impressive. Right. And so in an earthly sense, what he's saying isn't a negative, but he's not talking in earthly sense. He's talking in relation to God's law, God's word of law. Yeah. And this is the confusion then is that when we take God's word of law, heap upon it our our understanding or what we want the law to say to us, then there's that confusion and then as as he David points out as he quotes then there is actually a lack of faith and a despising of God. You don't glorify God, you're trying to glorify
1: yourself. Or as Jesus says, you know, you are whitewashed tombs, you keepers of right. the law. I mean, you're whitewashed tombs. Right. Uh your mouth what David says an open sepulcher. I mean, yeah. That's that's his own reflection on that.
0: And thus they simulate good works. They do not actually perform
1: good hmm. works. Hmm.
0: Outwardly they look like good works. But because they are not done spontaneously from the heart in love for God and neighbor, unconditional love for God and neighbor, not selfish love, right. they for are actually
1: simulations of good works. So this is really helpful distinction Melanchthon's making where, um, or when the law is limited in its scope and, mm-hmm. you know, in purpose to only external, you know, a virtue or, or character before your neighbor. Right. Um, it It's, when it almost becomes... Mm, a law unto itself, I think is how we'd say it. Sure.
0: Right. Yeah. Autonomian, not antinomian. Right. Yeah. Right. So then to continue, because Melanchthon isn't done yet. <laughs> no. The haughtiness, pride, stubbornness, and self love of this class are incredible. They come so far from satisfying the law that none are farther. That is, none are farther from the law than these folks who live this way Mm -hmm. of this class is that Pharisee in Luke 18 verse 11, who says, I am not like other men. Isaiah 28 verse 15 describes the drunkards of Ephraim. We have made a covenant with death and with Sheol. We have an agreement. Hmm. Jeremiah chapter six, verse 15. They did not know how to blush. And Matthew 7 Verse 23, evildoers. Period. (laughs) Period. Paul says he was of this sort before he was converted. Romans 7, verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law. That is, there was a time when I thought I fulfilled the law in an outstanding way. When I outstripped all my peers in the hypocrisy of works. For at that time, the law did not convict, accuse, or condemn me. And such indeed are all men who attempt, by the powers of nature, to portray the law in accordance with the grasp of reason, since they understand neither the law nor their own strength. And these are the people who contemplate only the back and veiled countenance of Moses. This is what Paul means in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13 and following, where he says that evangelical righteousness cannot be understood by the Jews because they look upon Moses with a veiled heart. They do not see by the law what the law demands and how we are nothing but sin and a curse. The, the scriptures are describing
1: the law How uh, to import another expression from Walter, right? In it's full severity. Yes, this is the law preached lawfully. Mm-hmm. Rather than, uh, you know, using the the picture as as Paul does, as he quotes from 2 Corinthians, you know, of of Moses and the veil and trying to just, you know, we'd like to have God in our
0: lives, but not quite that much. (laughs) Well, this is a great distinction that he's drawing out, which is the the use of the law for God is to kill you. Mm. The use of the law for Cicero, for example, Mm -hmm. or the Pharisees, or those in Melanchthon's own day to set themselves up, which is to live a better life. That is, I don't want to die. And And since the law kills, I'll just rejigger the law, like rewiring a fuse hmm. (laughs) and say, well, I mean, it hurts. It can be painful. It can chafe. It can be like a leash sometimes, but it's really to help us live a better life. So it's really for our own good versus it is for your own good but that good is you have to die so that you might be raised again to new life through the power of the gospel. And I
1: think maybe a little anecdote from Melanchthon's own life is helpful here. I mean, he knows nobility, true nobility. Mm-hmm. I mean he's born into a noble family. Right. He doesn't have to pay for his schooling. He's got the uh, trust fund, I guess. He's a trust fund kid. Sure. So he he knows um the sort of folks that really do well and live well. Um, mm-hmm. and live you know, live kind of that noble lifestyle. Um, and yet here he is saying it's not enough. Right. Right. In fact, it could actually be a temptation to say that it is enough. Yeah, it could be right. the opposite. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right. Oh. Thus to continue, so far do I write on those who try fulfilling the law by their natural strength, in accordance with the faculty of human reason. Everyone will be able to judge from his heart what sort they are. To such men, these sayings of Paul do not properly apply. The law is the power of wrath and of sin. The law is the servant of death, etc. Nevertheless, the law condemns also them because they make of it an idol and do everything with a certain indescribable pride and vexation of heart. So there you go. You can try and avoid the killing blow of the law. You can try and deny that the law is the power of wrath or the power of sin or that the law is the servant of death. You can deny all that. Hmm. It doesn't change the objective reality of it. And it's not only
1: Melanchthon who gets this. I mean, he's, as we said earlier, he's uh, really teasing out what he's reading in Paul. Uh, Mm -hmm. In Romans, but he's also quoting here 2 Corinthians. uh, So it's elsewhere too. And Paul knows something of this. Paul being a Pharisee of Pharisees, Right. right? (laughs) And uh, certainly of the the highest class of Jewish citizenry, Mm -hmm. and and certainly the most virtuous and upright as far as, you know, external observance. As he himself brags. Yeah, but then later on, um, he says, you know, I don't know of any accusation against me. (laughs) Right, right. And I I thought that's one of those funny statements from Paul. He's like... I think probably people did have a few accusations, right? Uh, Right. And what he means is that his sin is not being held
0: against him because of the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to him, right? Right. Yeah. And this is the point that Melanchthon makes then to sum up this analogy of the one man is, first, they don't actually understand their own strength or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Two, they lie to themselves and simulate good works because they think by the law they might live. Mm Mm-hmm. To God and to neighbor, to themselves, that everyone around them is able to judge the truth about them by their own actions and words, hmm. even though they think they're fooling everyone, including themselves. But their hypocrisy is still evident. Right. Right. Because you cannot, as he says, the law is an impossible demand. The law commands the impossible. But, but Pastor Riley, don't judge me. <laughs> right. Right right exactly only god can judge me and he has right at the law where the law and the prophets were hung on christ but even you can see it
1: uh how, how would it play out oh well right um you don't bother like i don't know coming to church hearing god's word receiving right. especially receiving the sacrament That's right pretty it doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> right that you don't believe um
0: it, it does beg the question doesn't it
1: i say mm-hmm. where do you put your hope and trust in
0: you know right Well, to that, uh, to the way in which he sums up Paul's own words here, Philip writes, right? At that time, the law did not convict, accuse, or condemn me. Mm. This is the problem. Mm. Is that if you treat the law as a power, as Lincoln says, that the law as that word of God, that power of God that does not convict, accuse, and condemn me, Mm. what do you fill that with then but rather this simulation of good works which are born out of as he says what haughty pride and stubbornness and self-love i think another aspect of this that's it's in the background
1: is this is law that is preached right it's not law that is natural to us like cicero right right uh, right the the law that's natural to us according you know to to human reason or however he said mm-hmm. it back there how do you say it uh, duh, 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 duh. according to oh yeah human reason that's what he says yeah, the corrector yeah. of crimes instructor of living that yes. that yes we can know clearly without any kind of revelation from god right but the law that convicts and accuses
0: to death right is proclaimed well and that's such a great point that you make we discussed this before we started to record is uh, i was talking about last week and you and i pastorally and just vocationally it was uh it was a bumpy ride last week for us emotionally and <laughs> yeah. for different reasons, but yeah. nonetheless. Yeah, And I was making the comment that when you study the Stoics as much as I do in order to, to basically pursue righteousness in a left-handed kingdom sort of way. Mm-hmm. And so you focus on integrity and respect and honor and character and self-discipline and these types of things. Patience. Patience. And for the Stoics in particular, the control of your emotions is preeminent. Mm -hmm. So then when I lose my temper, for example, Hmm? I feel shame because I've let myself down based on these principles that I've embraced, that I try and live by every day, that I want to live by every day. My point being then is if it's that difficult for me to control my emotions in just a left-handed sort of way, in the way of human reason, justice, living a better life, think about how much greater than mm-hmm. God's law is Yeah, in its demand that I live lawfully. I can't live up to the integrity, self-discipline, and character imposed upon me by Marcus Aurelius and um, Xenophon, mm. for example, how then am I possibly going to be able to live up to God's law?
1: Yeah. yeah. Which,
0: as he points out again, what does it do? It convicts, accuses, and condemns me.
1: That's interesting, uh, you know, in the kind of self-improvement craze and even the in the best possible sense as you're talking about with mm-hmm. Stoicism, um, that even that accuses and condemns, mm-hmm. even that really kind of, I don't want to say minimized kind of law. Right. Right? Or minimal law. Um, right. That even that brings shame and and guilt and that's not even right showing you the full severity
0: of things (laughs) no no and that's the point i mean this is the social media Mm -hmm. as a as a what do you want to call a phenomena Mm -hmm. that hopefully just a bump in the road but i'm not so sure about that right but you know my friends on instagram i'm i'm now friends with uh, a former olympic um skater Mm-hmm. She won the gold medal with her partner in 1984. I'm friends with a former Olympic lifter and a former uh, WWF wrestler, actually. I'm friends with two, And you, you encounter these Quote people. Quote, unquote, friends. <laughs> well, no, we interact though. Like I actually yeah. have conversations yeah. with the people. Yeah. So, and we encourage each other and we travel in this, that ecosystem of health and wellness and mm-hmm. the fight community and the cross training committee and so forth and so on, CrossFit. No matter how good you think you're doing, you talk with them and you're like, oh, right (laughs) yeah yeah i I thought i was killing it but yeah uh, just measured by degree of success um, it really is it really is and this is the point too of as as others have said in the past you can lie to everybody but you can't lie to the person in the mirror
1: Mm, yeah
0: and that's really what the law is second use the law it's a mirror that shows us our need for a savior Mm. but to a lesser degree in the first use there's still a mirror that is held up to us in relation to others that says as good as you think you are or as virtuous as you think you are or as just as you are there's always someone who's more than which is why you read books about cyrus or alexander the great or jocko or whoever it might be people that you look up to and go i aspire to reach that level of whatever it
1: might be yeah i think uh when, when i was being taught preaching i can't remember who the author was there was some text we were reading call this like the law of existence sure yeah you know, just uh, the nature of this of this world and its temptations right. and right it, it's it's a weaker lock than again god's direct word of accusation of of transgression against him
0: right because ultimately my friends are going to say hey you know what you're doing the best you can don't kill yourself
1: oh they can't kind of soft pedal it yeah
0: well and just in the sense of there's there's not this ultimate stamp of, no, you'll live lawfully or you'll die. Mm, right. That's it. That, that like Paul says in Romans 7, that which mm-hmm. was intended for my good, sin used to kill me. When I'm training and simulating murder on my partner, my partner taps and I stop. Yeah. When God's, when the power of God's law grabs a hold of you and you tap, it doesn't stop. Yeah. So the wages of sin of, of
1: this uh, social sin against your neighbor is status maybe <laughs> yeah Lower exactly status. yeah
0: yeah actually it gains you respect you actually regarded more highly amongst those people who say i don't expect you to be an olympic level weightlifter but i see that mm. your pursuit of this this wellness this strength whatever it might be i admire that about you that's merit I'm going to credit that to your account. I want to get to know you socially on social media, but I also want to get to know you personally now because I see these other things that show up on your media profile. I want to know you as a person now. And some of these some of these new laws that we see spin
1: out in social media, uh, which we were talking about before we went on, uh, they are who they're even different yet uh, mm-hmm. try to think out how to express 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 this oh what do we call it like virtue signaling right yeah it's virtue signaling yeah new it's a new kind of law and you're looking for affirmation and enoughness mm-hmm. or however you want to describe it yeah enoughness that's right yeah <laughs> and uh but again it's a law unto itself as i said earlier right. it and it doesn't actually i mean what's the worst thing that could happen well actually some people Find themselves in a position of hopelessness and despair to the point of even suicidal right. um, thoughts. Over, because because they just don't look
0: right. Right, they don't. Yeah, their identity. Where is their identity located? It's a it's a a law of diminishing returns. Hmm. Yeah, and maybe or that's you, a way to say it. That the the social law mm-hmm. that justice is a law of diminishing returns.
1: Well, and it, and it can be as simple as just not um, having said the talking points in the right way. Right. You know, whatever, whatever has been established by the Mm -hmm. establishment.
0: um, Right. Which also influx all the time. It's it's very, it's very fatiguing. (laughs) Well, it goes both ways. Because as I commented to you, one of the side effects of losing control of myself emotionally is the frustration leaks out of the fact that I can't just grab you Mm -hmm. and do what I want to you Mm -hmm. to correct you to say, I see what you're doing because you don't think there's any consequences for what you're saying right now. Yeah. But let me just be clear. I can end your life right now if I feel like it. So you live at my discretion, at my charity, and then your brain's like, okay, now walk that back. That's not rational. Hmm. Don't do that. But you're still doing that. You're positioning yourself on the scale of lesser than and greater than. Yeah.
1: And you're creating, again, through your own autonomy, a law. Yes. Um, Versus the
0: psalmist, what does the psalmist say? God judges... With equity, he judges us all equally. That's why Paul says in Galatians, there's, you know, in Christ, there's not slave or free, Jew or Greek. There's none of that stuff. Well, early likewise, uh, there's no unrighteous. Right, because there, yeah, exactly. There is that. So that's the point then that he draws out here, Philip draws out in this first analogy. This first man is, if you think that the law is there to teach you how to live a better life and that that somehow is going to get you in good with God, you're a fool. Yeah, you're You're naive. You are... You're naive. You suffer from haughtiness, pride, and stubbornness, and ultimately self-love, which is why your pride is indescribable, why you actually despise God and thus your neighbor, and thus you can never actually fulfill the law. Mm -hmm. And you've got a veil over your face. Yes. You see the backside of Moses, not even the backside of God. You see the backside of Moses. So then the second analogy, the second man, in the other class, he writes, are those to whom the following passages apply the law is the power of sin, of wrath, etc., God reveals to them the law, shows them their hearts, and terrifies and confuses them with a realization of their own sin. In a word, these are the ones in whom God works through the law. Among hypocrites, the law does nothing, but they fashion a shadowy imitation of the law by their simulated hypocritical righteousness. The law truly and properly works in those to whom sin is revealed. Because this really takes place, it is done by God, and scripture calls this work, quote unquote, judgment, the wrath of God, the anger of God, his glance, and countenance of wrath. As in Psalm 97, verses 2 through 5, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Hmm. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lighten the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And Psalm 76, verse 8 From the heavens thou didst utter judgment. The earth feared and was still. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13 Be silent. All flesh before the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 6. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. Brilliant. So notice what he's doing. He's just proof texting
1: he is and this is the the Lochi method that uh he also taught his students and we see it spin mm-hmm. out well not only in his own writings with augsburg augsburg uh, confession the apology as well the uh but we see it like in the formula where right, he, his students can do this too where they they've it's it's not it's not an innate sense it's a trained sense that they right. they read the scriptures they document take notes Mm-hmm. Um, wherever they hear a text that fits within a category of thought, right? Mm-hmm. In this case, the power of the law. Right. Um, and they do that. Oh, who did we study this with? Oh, well, we saw it play out in uh, popular media with, um, the Sherlock show, right? With the, mm. with the mind house and how right, Sherlock Holmes, right. you know, has all the rooms and he puts data in the rooms. This is what they're doing. Right. Is is there, he's got these texts that he, uh, I think Melanchthon has taken the time even at this point to memorize having read this 100 percent, yeah and he just knows how can you spend that much time translating and not and we have i mean i just feel mm, personally inferior (laughs) which Mm, is not hard uh it doesn't take much but uh (laughs) you know i mean i have probably i don't know maybe a total of 20 30 you know who actually knows scriptures that i can cite you know Mm. verbatim or sure to to a point um but I can't cite 15 texts on one small loci. You know? Right. Relatively right. small. Yeah.
0: So brilliant. No, I agree. I, when you translate, it gives you traction mm, in yeah. the language and it sticks. For me anyways, that's really, it, it sticks more to me mentally than if I just read it and try and memorize it.
1: Yeah. And he's doing that with Luther um, as they were already at this point starting to work on the scriptures. Right. Yeah. Right. There have been. They had been working on the scripture and translating both Hebrew uh, and well, Greek. I was going to
0: say translation in itself is almost like a mnemonic device. Mm, because yeah. you're wrestling with the original languages and asking, what's the best translation of this? So now you're going into the language of it. You're going into your lexicon. You're parsing that out and going, okay, in the context of this clause or this sentence, this verb functions this way. But I remember back here it functioned that way. So... Is he using this verb in different ways, or am I just mistranslating this and not getting the intent here? And I've been wondering about this with pedagogy, especially with children, um, mm-hmm.
1: because the things that I remember today, the scriptures, the, the text, the stories, whatever, that I can recall um, are the ones that I've preached on multiple times. Sure. Primarily, or, or have right. sung or have you know utilized, I should say, mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. way where I had to really meditate upon them, examine them. You know uh, consider them carefully uh, mm-hmm. and and that's what then they stick right and so now how do we do that you know uh, how would i encourage uh, anyone actually to study god's word yeah, in right. such a way and I'm, I'm not sure that i actually thought that through too much yet but trying to figure it out because he's done it and you know whether it's translating or teaching mm-hmm. uh, it it's inculcated into him i guess is it right know, it's that's his right language
0: yeah yeah and it's beautiful it's wonderful so to continue then, mm-hmm. and to our point, Philip continues, but why pile up many passages of scripture? <laughs> Since the law is obviously one part of scripture and the work of the law is to kill and to damn. Obviously. to rev- Well, for him. Yeah. <laughs> and for the Lutherans. Yes. Yes, it was. The law is obviously one part of the scripture and the work of the law is to kill and to damn, to reveal the root of our sin and to perplex us, it mortifies not only avarice and desire, but the root of all evils, our love of self, the judgment of reason, and whatever good our nature seems to possess. It's interesting he uses that word, their root, which is radix, which we get mm-hmm. the word radical from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was, a. that's definitely a
1: humanist um turn oh, 100% yeah, right it, exactly very much getting to the roots that's what we talk about getting
0: um, back to the fount and the root mm-hmm. they use that yeah. word that way so from this it will be apparent how the moral virtues stink <laughs> and how the righteousness of the saints is nothing but dirty bloody rags paul All right therefore quoting isaiah therefore it was fitting that even moses exclaimed in exodus chapter 34 verse 7 that before god not even the innocent is innocent Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, he will by no means clear the guilty. David says in Psalm 143, verse 2, enter not into judgment with thy servant. Psalm 6, verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. In Isaiah chapter 38, verse 13, Hezekiah says, like a lion, he breaks all my bones. Ouch. John says with his characteristic succinctness, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 17. Truth is opposed to hypocrisy and grace to the anger of God. Through Jesus Christ, grace, that is the mercy and favor of God, and true righteousness are born in our hearts. Therefore, it follows that the law is the author of hypocrisy only when it forces those who are unwilling and raging against God. It produces wrath when it condemns us as guilty sinners. Wow. Could he be any clearer? Uh, not in this paragraph.
1: Uh, this he, is fantastic. I, I love the the thing that he teased out. and I think uh, it's something, I don't know if we've talked about it before, actually. Uh, he says that the law... Uh, two paragraphs ago says it confuses them with the Mm -hmm. realization of their sin. And then here he says that it perplexes us. Mm -hmm. Um, That we think we've got it all together. Right. We, we think we understand. And then we hear and we're like, Oh, I really didn't get it. Right. Not even that. It's not even a realization. It's like, Oh, where, where can I go? What can I do? Right. How, who's going to save me from this body of death? You know, different ways. The Bible talks about it.
0: Well, again, we were talking about this before we hit record because I'm rereading the biography of Cyrus the Great by Xenophon and in, in the opening chapters. Xenophon, or uh, Cyrus's dad points out, you can plan all you want, but men don't know. Like by nature, men don't know where they're going. They don't even know who they are. Right, exactly. That's kind of his point is like, you think you know who you are, but you don't. It It is revealed to you. Likewise, you may think you know where you're going, but you don't. Because it has to be revealed to you. So you can set a course in this case for Babylon and Cyrus's um, example, but that doesn't mean that you know how you're going to get there exactly and what's going to happen when you get there and how the final battle is going to take place and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. You can plot and plan and hope, but you really have no idea where you're going so likewise yeah this is his yeah. point right you're you're not clear on this this is not sober thinking you are confused you are perplexed and in fact you are a hypocrite because you you don't you're raging against god because you are unwilling to hear the law lawfully
1: and so i was going to say you know okay so uh, the lord gives us a promise says, you know, we, we would say simplify it this way: death and resurrection, right? Yes, it'll be yes. with me forever. Uh, and then we say, all right, I'm going to figure out how to get there. It's like, wait a right. minute, no, I promise that that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. We're like, but no, I would like to, you know, take the law or establish my own law uh, to set my own path, my own trajectory to yes. accomplish that. And it's like, it's already right. accomplished. It, you, that's not – and so then in the moment, then that's where we get into all this you know, crippling self-doubt and wonder and right. saying things like, he's breaking my bones and he's angry with me. Well, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But he's uh, – he that's his alien work, we say, right? That's his – Right. Or secondary or, or pre- penultimate, I, different ways to say it. He's doing that because that's what you need mm-hmm. to get you where he's taking you.
0: Right. Right. And you can't get – the door – Mm-hmm. is the grave mm-hmm. that's your passage and you got to pay the man you got to pay the boatman right <laughs> this is it. why they used to put uh coins on the eyes or in the palm of the dead so that when they got to the river Styx, they could pay Caron, the the boatman to oh. ferry them down the river it's coin operated coin operated <laughs> boat yeah <laughs> but i i was thinking about
1: this i had a committal on saturday and uh, said it's in the committal right and i can't remember exactly And what the context is, but declaring the grave to be the gate of heaven, Mm -hmm. and uh, which is quoting um, quoting Jacob right with the whole ladder, Mm -hmm. right, and and the heavens being opened, and then we say it here at the at the uh, at the graveside, and it doesn't look that way at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. There's
0: Mm -hmm. there's nothing quote unquote good about this to the old Adam. Mm -hmm. No. Which is why even death in Greco-Roman mythology is not an actual death you still descend into the underworld, you got your coins, you pay for your passage and you go up or down or wherever you go. But the, the, there's not an actual death. Whereas when you stand next to a grave and you lower the casket into the ground and throw dirt on it, that's an actual corpse and this is an actual death. He's really dead. Mm. And now we wait the resurrection. And similarly, I mean, look at how devastating Melanchthon is.
1: Um, right. This a-
0: is the law preached lawfully. I mean, this is essentially what he's going after here. He's proving his argument through scripture. Yeah, mortifies everything: avarice,
1: right. desire, root of all evils, love of self, judgment of reason, whatever—even we think is good, or what right. we think we possess that is good—and our apparent moral virtues stinketh.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, but I love this point because he draws this out. Really, at root of all evil is our love of self, incurvatus in se est, as mm-hmm. Luther would say, curving mm-hmm. in on ourself, which in modern language would be self we're selfish we're self-centered and that's the problem is that no matter how good we may think we're doing in relation to the law or god you can't not be selfish that's the thing is there's entire religions dedicated to being mindless being unselfish Hmm. they they literally build monasteries in the mountains to separate themselves from people so that they can meditate on losing themselves Which, ironically, of course, is the most selfish thing you could do. Yeah. (laughs) Because the only way you can truly lose yourself is in the beloved in the other. Right. Yeah, and your neighbor. Right. In the moment that your child's born, as an example, when my children are born, I'm not aware of myself. Mm -mm. I'm not even thinking about myself. I'm thinking about, uh, here comes another one, first of all. Um, And just being caught up in this and going, this is amazing, praise Christ. Like, I can't believe I received this gift. This is amazing. Right. And then you... I, you know, as a father, you say, okay, now what does this require of me? Then exactly. As soon as that, as soon as you cut that cord, you're thinking, okay, now what do I need to do for Annie, for the baby in general? I got the kids back home. What do I need to do? Right. Clothes, shoes, house, drink. Right. Everything. Yeah. Right. But even in that, you're still saying, what do I need to do? And the law is saying that is the problem actually. So you've already
1: turned that, that vocationally good work um, right into something that damns you
0: well oh. this is i was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago drawing out philosophically human beings are the only creatures that from the moment you're able to think are saying to themselves this isn't good enough it could be better rocks don't do that <laughs> deer don't do that the sun doesn't do that we're the only creatures that go yeah this could definitely be better or i can do this better And that we're driven, that consciousness is essentially that we're driven by the question of how can I make this better? You see this in innovation and technology, you see this in society, you Mm -hmm, see this mm -hmm. in in health and wellness. That's the problem is that our default setting, the the old Adam's default setting is bigger, better, faster, stronger, always improving, always growing, always, again, I want to be a better husband for my wife. I do. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be better because I'm not satisfied with who I am. And I can talk about this in the sense of the person I was three years ago, for example, mm-hmm. I murdered that guy yeah. and I did it in a particular way. He's dead. That person isn't, he doesn't exist anymore. Now in relation to God, I'm the same as I've ever been. Yeah, I'm either in Christ, as you noted earlier, Paul's saying, yeah, I don't, I don't see there's, there's any reason. It, I, don't, I don't feel guilty. I'm not convicted <laughs> of anything. I don't, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, in, but in relation to the law, the law is like, uh, I got that, hold my beer, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Is that there's that the law increases the trespass beyond all measure
1: to mortify, and and unfortunately, uh, we actually don't like it. <laughs> no, it, it's a little painful. It hurts. I'd say more than a little painful. Contra- <laughs> a little. It's actually deadly, and uh, is is the chief cause for people abandoning the Christian church. I hundred percent, hundred percent, and even more so because when when the law is preached lawfully, but the gospel is not preached in its evangelical sweetness, then you have left people in death right. and despair. Which
0: is, uh, Melanchthon actually does draw that out in the section before what we're reading here where he points out that if the law is not preached lawfully, the the, the gospel can't be preached evangelically. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think this is probably what maybe is most beneficial for this conversation for those of you listening too, is to try and cut corners with your preaching of the law, not preach it lawfully, not basically, as he says, get to the root of your sin of evil which is your love of self this is why at least speaking for myself anecdotally Mm -hmm. i don't use the word law a lot Mm -hmm. or commandment a lot and i instead point out and name how sin has manifested itself in the lives of my congregations in such a way that they've been broken loose of fear love and trust of god in the first commandment for example they don't need me to tell them they've broken the first commandment pedagogically, pedantically, they need me to express to them in what practical way that happens. Mm. So like yesterday, talking about past wounds Mm. and how we inflict damage on ourselves in a non-therapeutic sort of way. Um, But you got to use language because it's the only language available to us at present that people can understand. So you draw out, what, what does it mean that you have these past wounds? Well, it means that time does not heal all wounds and your wounds are not these little seeds that are waiting to grow into these beautiful <laughs> flowers, but rather past wounds never heal and you don't possess the strength to reach it and pull out the pain. So you carry all these past wounds around with you your whole life and then fear, love and trust bust loose in destructive ways, yeah. selfish, self-serving ways, self-destructive ways. And then Jesus comes along and says, actually by my wounds, you are healed.
1: I had a similar uh, experience where uh, I had confirmation, and uh, we had the same gospel text. You and I, uh, in my case, I teased it out this way: is that uh, everybody's telling me that I need to uh, hold you accountable to your these vows you're going to make today. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem with your vows: they're never enough, right? And they're they're not sufficient, and you can't keep them. No. So, so what I've been asked to do um, is to hold you accountable to the law, but to a law that even that in is impossible it's, for not even God's law, to. And it's still impossible that you're yeah. faithful unto death like by your own reason or strength right uh, good luck with that so if it then, hits me sideways and i don't see it coming percent. Yeah, yeah maybe uh whereas the promise of the text <laughs> right. is the holy spirit right. the comforter the advocate the helper the one who does it all for you gives it to you faith word jesus right. all his gift right right yeah. and
0: this is a, a key point too and i'm sure he'll get into this later but the law produces wrath when it condemns us as guilty sinners, right? It forces those who are unwilling and raging against God to accept that they're hypocrites. So it's it's when you push back. Right, exactly. That I I get where you're coming from, Lord, but what about, but what about, and versus the new man in Christ who receives the law as what it is, mm. God's good and perfect word. And that the new man in Christ recognizes, oh, this is the death of the old Adam this is gonna bury what separates me from Christ. Give me more, Mm. give me more. So you receive it in both ways, both as gift and as wrath. Yeah, 100%. Hmm. This is why when you teach the 10 commandments, you teach them in two ways, not one way. Mm -hmm. One as to the old Adam, do this, don't do that. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. You will die. And And then secondly, this is what Christ has done for you. He has fulfilled the whole law in his death and resurrection. One doesn't let you off the hook. The The other absolves you. Takes you off the hook? (laughs) Yeah, essentially simultaneously. Uh Yeah. Because again, you're either in Christ or you're not. And as you pointed out, the dichotomy of the Christian life is, it's not either or, it's both and. Mm -hmm. And this is what drives us nuts. This is why he says, all of us at some point, if not all the time, are caught up in self-love and haughtiness and pride and stubbornness because when the law condemns others, we love the law. Mm. When the law condemns us, hmm <laughs> yeah not so much fun yeah.
1: and then the, the the last part here which is really really good too um <laughs> quoting john in his characteristic succinctness yes is, we would call this uh black and white you know um it's a it's either or it's, it's yes not or both and we might say it's categorical law, yeah it's categorical the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ right let's not mix these two up
0: okay right and that's that was the later anti disputations, Mm -hmm. disputes between Melanchthon and Agricola in particular was Agricola thought, well, we don't need to preach the law because we're Christians. But then he would preach the gospel in such a way that he'd say, well, don't you feel sad and sorry that Jesus had to die for your sins? And (laughs) don't you think you should do something to show him how thankful and grateful you are that he died for your sins? And Philip comes along and goes, you you do realize you're preaching the law and saying it's gospel. Hmm. And Agricola's saying, no, 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 no. I'm not preaching the law. I'm preaching the gospel. The gospel leads to repentance. And it's like, no, you're you're confusing the two. the law came through Moses grace and truth through Jesus. don't get your peanut butter and your chocolate mixed up here. yeah you it, have to preach both, but you have to preach them in their fullness. We've talked uh, uh,
1: probably in a negative way often um, about complex and convoluted theologies. Um, you know the, and that's where sometimes uh, what we would call systematic theology I, it's not the goal and intent, but it, but it can be challenging, right? because mm-hmm. uh, it gets it can get. Pretty complicated as you start to break things down into really fine categories, uh, but these categories here, law and gospel, um, yeah, I think we both agree are essential. I, I, without this clear confession of this is how God speaks in these two words, right, uh, right, things get get wonky and gospel gets right. confused for law and law for gospel, right, and you lose you
0: lose salvation, you lose Jesus Christ, right, what right. Do done? exactly. Mm. So that brings us actually to a perfect 60 minutes with the podcast. So we'll stop here and then next week we'll come back and read more on the power of the law from Philip Melanchthon's Loci, because this is just fantastic stuff. It's very, and it's very clear. Very clear. And as you said, not convoluted. Mm-mm. He's not even long-winded. He's very succinct actually. And his his texts that he cites are spot on yeah. to uh, further his point. Yeah. And I, I hope from just this one hour you can appreciate then why luther said philip's loci is the best systematic period not just of his generation but luther's like ever like this is the best ever yeah like there's no better loci there's no better systematic theology in the history of the church up to 1521 that you could claim is better than this well and i think
1: it it's true
0: then for
1: probably what 100 years of Lutheran, this becomes the systematics textbook
0: i was gonna say this is the textbook yeah it holds up to say Beautiful. Hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. This is really great stuff. Love it. And come back next week for a brand new episode. We appreciate everything you do to support the podcast. If there's anybody you'd like us to read, send us an email and we'll put it in the queue. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we love you and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.